Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. All right. And so a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I have just taken, I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago, I'm speaking today and I'll speak next week and I'm, and I'll be kind of weaving in a lot of these themes, uh, towards what it is that gets us to the room to build a corporate history of worship and prayer. That's my whole aim. And so I just want to say it to you from the end. That's what I'm going after. And I'm trying to show Bible verses that gets you there and give you a biblical construct of the importance of communities built around the presence. I, um, I, I just want to, uh, the last time I was with you, I, I want to give a little bit of review. If you weren't, who was with me a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of you were, I'm just going to give it to you real fast. I, I went on a journey and I only got us to Zechariah. All right. But what began in the garden of Eden, I call it the garden temple where we see the first thing that the Lord did after creating Adam was he planted a garden. Okay. And I, and I, again, I don't want you thinking of six rows of tomatoes and cucumbers and corn. All right. I want you thinking of you know, what's a central park in New York city. That's how I want you thinking about the garden, not a couple of rows, but a whole park where there are rivers. There were four rivers in the Garden of Eden. Four rivers. One of them, the Euphrates. There was trees. It was massive. And the, and the Lord plants the garden and he puts Adam in the garden. And he says, your job is to tend and cultivate the garden. This will be the place that I come meet with you. And you will receive divine insights into releasing your dominion mandate over the beast of the field, over the birds of the air, over the trees. Your call is to rule the earth out of intimacy with me. It's intimacy and dominion. Intimacy and dominion are the two deepest things on the inside of us. And I took our time with the garden. And I said that the Lord never stopped that. This is the way it was always to be. And we moved to the book of Exodus where the Lord delivered a nation out of Egypt, brings them to Mount Sinai, okay? And in the sight of a whole nation, I'm talking about a million people, they watched a mountain on fire as a man, Moses, went up into the fire, spent 40 days in it, and then came back down and says, God doesn't want to just meet with one man up on a mountain. God wants to dwell with a whole nation. God wants to be with you in your midst. And so we see the establishing of the tabernacle, okay? God gives the book of Exodus to lay out the dimensions of the tabernacle. He anointed artisans who would create fabrics and create the outer court and the inner court and the Holy of Holies. He created craftsmen, anointed craftsmen who would build the Ark of the Covenant and that God, to prepare a place for God to dwell in their midst, without killing all of them. <laughs> he set apart a whole tribe, the Levitical tribe whose primary call, only job was ministry to God. I love it. Their whole job was slaughtering animals all day. What, they, were, they were modern day butchers. That's all they did all day was cut animals and offer daily and yearly sacrifices to minister to God 
And then once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer incense before the Shekinah glory of God. And that would be the great cleansing of the nation as God's statement from Genesis all the way through is, I want to be close to you. Are you with me? We're going to get there. We see the Mosaic tabernacle, and then we run into a man named David. Everybody say David. Okay, David's one of our heroes around here. David says, this young boy got marked on the backsides of the hills of Bethlehem with an early day and saying, it's all, about, it's all about him, ministry to him. And God took that little boy through a long journey where he became king in Jerusalem. And the first thing David said is, we've got to go get the ark and we've got to bring it back to the city and put it in the middle of the people of God. That's David's whole reality is the presence of God in the middle. Ministry to God in the middle. And that's where God's throne will descend over the whole nation. And God will rout out our enemies. God will release divine prosperity. And God will release his fame and magnify his name as we minister to him. And two thrones become one. That's what David caught a hold of. He is enthroned in the praises of his people. And that we build thrones here on earth where God routes out his enemies. David absolutely did it. He got wrecked. He says, I want to build a house for God. He wasn't, and he built a tabernacle is what he built. And he says, the Lord showed me. We're going to remove all the veils. And we're going to take 288 prophetic singers. Thousands of musicians. Put them on 24-7 around the clock shifts and they are going to minister before the glory and the Lord showed me his throne will descend and he will release his power in his kingdom. <laughs> and the story of the Old Testament in Judah are the kings who did it David's way and the kings who didn't do it David's way. That's the simple way. There's about eight revivals in the Old Testament, and all the revivals are marked by the ones who cleanse the temple and put singers and musicians back in place. That's the mark of Old Covenant, Old Testament revivals are who puts the singers and the musicians in place. And that's when God would restore and release favor back on the land is when the kings that did that. I then brought us to the Babylonian exile and the return of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest and the governor. And I talked out of Zechariah 3 and 4 and how I believe we're in a prophetic moment where God is once again, he's removing all the stains off our garments and he's releasing a revelation of our priestly call. And I, look, and I talked out of Zechariah 4 that not by might nor by power that God actually rejoices in weak people with limited resources building him a place that it says yeah that's what I say what Zechariah 4 it says the seven spirits the eyes the seven eyes are rejoicing to see weak people showing up on the wall and singing love songs and ministering to God it moves heaven it moves heaven this excites me this is why I'm on earth, is to rally hundreds, thousands, and millions of people and build little gardens all across the room, all across the earth, who would do this as God's throne descends over cities. 
I'm not playing. Well, Jesus comes. Jesus comes. He tabernacles among us. Now the tabernacles come down. John 1, it says, and he tabernacled among us and God and man in one man. He came, he died, he removed, he, he, he came and offered himself as one sacrifice for sins once and for all. He ascends into heaven itself and he offers his blood on the mercy seat in heaven and he has now opened up the way and what happened? This is the great shift because the storyline from Genesis, it doesn't get all the way to Jesus. Jesus goes, well, we're not into that anymore. He goes, now I've removed all of the animal sacrifices and all of the other ways of entering in. And now through one sacrifice, I have blown open a door for not just one nation and not just for one city and not just for one tribe to minister to me through the blood of bulls and goats. I've now blown open a door and the temple's gone viral. The temple's gone viral and it's now moved into the church. All right, the church, to where the church has now been brought into this glorious storyline. Are you with me? You tracking with me? I'm telling a story. And this is the amazing thing, Israel, and we've talked a lot about this in here as well. Israel's call was to receive this, and God wanted to manifest himself through them. Jesus comes, and they rejected him. And so Jesus says, well, I've got a plan. I'm going to go to all the other nations, and they're going to embody what you were made for. And they're going to show you what it looks like, and them stepping into it is going to break off blindness off of you and awaken you to your calling. And so our ultimate labor is for the salvation of Israel and the return of the Lord. <laughs> that, that's a whole nother message, which is awesome. What I'm wanting us to understand right now is that the church, the church has now entered into this reality and God's storyline is the same. At the heart of the new covenant community is ministry to God with worship, prayer, fasting, and ministering to God. That is the heart of the New Testament community of faith. And he is wanting to awaken us to this reality, and he is wanting to deliver us from our individualistic American culture. He is wanting to deliver us from 45 minutes and 20 bucks only. He is wanting to shift us into communal Communities built around presence, built around ministry to God. We've built the whole thing about what we're getting from God, and I'm here to tell you it's primarily about what he's getting from us. There is a dramatic shift that's going on right now in the earth, and it's going to shake everything, and I believe 2020 was the beginning of the shaking. He, the, the days of consumerism, the days of what can Jesus do for me and make my life a little bit more bearable, make me a little happy and more comfortable and give me a little bit more money, those days are over. He blesses you, but he does it through his way. And where it's not about what he's going to do for you, but what he's going to get from you and who he is. 
It's not about how good the worship song is and how well it works for you. It's delivering us from our worship if they play that song. The days are over and the Father has one agenda and that is lifting high His Son and capturing the attention and capturing the gaze of His people. The Lamb is going to receive the reward of His sufferings. The Lamb is going to receive the reward of His sufferings. And you know what it's going to look like? People who fall madly in love with Him and want to be in rooms together singing to Him looking at him, praying with him, and releasing his glory into the earth. That's the shift. It's happening. The understanding and expression of Christianity changing in one generation. Acts 13. This is the first mention of the church. Because that's the whole, you, you, think, you remember the woman at the well situation with Jesus. What did the woman say? You Jews say that only in Jerusalem can you worship. What did Jesus tell her? He goes, honey, can you put John 4.22 up here? He said, honey, in the Corey New King James Version. <laughs> honey, come on, John 4, there it is. I can't see it. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, verse 23. And then he said this, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. She, she was trying to say, you Jews only say you got to go to Jerusalem to worship. And he goes, honey, I'm about to bust this thing wide open. We're going to see mountains. We're going to see places across the earth that are going to be filled with. See, this is what he's doing. Can I, let me just read something to you. I'm getting my glasses on, which means we're going in. Whenever this comes on, we're going in. What began with one nation and one location, with one tribe that was anointed to minister to God, it has now gone out to all nations and many locations with all believers who are anointed as priests. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a priest. Yeah, that was really strong there. I'm a priest. I'm a priest. We're like, I don't see a collar there. I don't see all the white garments and the blue turban. We have so many. Can you put 1 Peter 2, 4 up here? I'm a priest. You're a priest. Your primary call is priesting before the Lord, ministering to him. That is your primary call. 1 Peter 2, 4, come on. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, chosen by God and precious. Verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. I love that word. Spiritual sacrifices are songs our sacrifices, our prayers, our sacrifices. Where it was blood of bulls and goats, now it's songs and prayers resting on the finished work of the cross. They are responses to the finished work. They're not trying to get into the room. It's, it's gratitude and government based on that we're already in the room. Hey, 
Revelation 5, verse 10. We're going to run now. We're going to run. Revelation 5, verse 10. We're going to see a church emerge across the earth that's going to partner with the Lamb of God and say, you're worthy to take the scroll and open up its seals. And look at the last thing they say. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. The end time church is going to have a deep revelation of our kingly identity and our priestly identity. And that we're actually going to rule the earth forever in this way. What, what king rules this way out of intimacy? He's not a king with a devotional life. Businessmen, you're not a king with a devotional life. You're a priest. Jesus is a priest who has set his throne in the prayer room. He rules from the place of prayer. He governs from the place of prayer. Jesus. Can you put Psalm 27 verse 4 up? One man, I want to lock in on one man right now. His name's David. David's the one who blew this thing open. Because in Amos 9, we see that God's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David in the last days. In Acts 15, we see that the tabernacle of David, he quotes Amos 9. The tabernacle of David, the spirit of the tabernacle of David is worship, ministry to God, prayer that releases the kingdom of God and opens up a door for lost people to come in. That's the New Testament church. But I want to talk to you for the next couple of moments. So my biggest thing is getting us into a corporate mindset and, well, that's just Old Testament. That don't matter anymore. Uh-uh. That laid the blueprint of what God desires. It's time that we remove the separation between the Old and the New Testament. It's heretical. They dealt with first century fathers dealt with these issues of the separation. There's a different God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. There is one God, one Father, and there's one story streaming through the whole Word of God. One story streaming through the whole Word of God. And that we as Gentiles have been grafted in to a glorious storyline. And guys, we're showing up in the last act, and we're thinking the act started with us. We're showing up at the end of the movie and thinking it's all about us. No, this is about the church entering into her glory She's going to embody something through Yeshua that's going to provoke Israel to jealousy, beckon Jesus back to the planet. And the increasing pressure and glory is going to bring forth the church in these days. And we've got to bind together. We've got to bind together. I've got to get in here at Monday. I've got to get in here at Tuesday. I've got to hear you singing to break me out of my funk so I get into my thing of ministering to God. I want to talk to you about corporate beholding of beauty. Corporate beholding of beauty. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why, David? I want to behold the beauty of the Lord, and I want to inquire in his temple. I want to talk to you about beauty this morning. 
We were, we were made by God for beauty. Nothing moves the human heart like beauty. We all have greedy eyes. We all have greedy eyes that can never get satisfied enough. Always needing more. And we were designed by God for beauty. And that's what motivates the heart. And when you touch true beauty, everything else falls to the wayside. And it's not about religiosity or to-do list, but it's about falling in love and making radical decisions because you have. When you touch beauty, time goes out the window. Time's reoriented. Money is reoriented. Dreams are reoriented, and it's because of the power of beauty, and that's the way God's designed us. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which over joy, over what he found in that field, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought the field. Joy, beauty, power of something superior that touches the human makeup that touches the human heart, and that out of encountering something more superior, we then make adjustments to everything inferior in our lives in light of beauty and in light of the power of what we've touched. That's how God's designed us. We got a whole world out here, billion-dollar marketing industry playing on beauty. We look at the beautiful women. That's what I want to look like. That's beautiful. The beautiful men, the beautiful this, the beautiful that. The power of beauty and what it does to the human heart. And you don't do it by suppressing it. You do it by redirecting it. The power of beauty. David made an amazing statement right here. Moses referred to it in Psalm 90. He said, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. But David said, God's beautiful. Think about that. God is the epitome of beauty. God is the epitome of beauty. What makes God beautiful? What makes God beautiful? Talk to me. Mercy. Love. Compassion. Grace. Kindness. Forgiveness. Joy. Rest. Strength. All that God is is beautiful. His judgments are beautiful. His judgments against darkness is people coming to the Lord. His judgments against sickness is people getting healed. His judgments against demons are people getting delivered, and it's beautiful. His wisdom's beautiful. We usually don't know it in the moment. You usually know it later, but you said, my goodness, that was awesome. His ways are higher than our ways, and you don't see the beauty until after it's played out, even the hard stuff in your life. See, we only think beauty means everything that we like. But the, mul the, the most beautiful thing that's ever happened is a man, a bloody, bleeding, hanging man on a cross who was unrecognizable, and the beauty of God was being displayed for a whole generation. The wisdom and the power of God manifested through a bleeding man on a cross. The justice and the righteousness and the mercy and the kindness of God meeting in the torn flesh of Jesus. That's beauty. And we were made to discover beauty in God alone. 
Christianity is not about trying harder. Christianity is not just about not going to hell. Christianity isn't about behavior modification. It's not about being a good person. It's about being transformed into the image of him. That's the goal of the Father is turning you into Jesus. Changing you into the image. You're like, what is that? Where's that at? Romans 8, 29. Put it up there. Romans 8, 29. Romans 8, 29. Just get it up there real quick. It's not a main point, but it's a big point. It, all, it is a main point. It's Paul's main point. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. Everybody say conformed. See, so you get conformed as you're transformed. And you get transformed as you behold. Conformed to the image of his son. Not just parrots that can imitate him, but ones who become like him from within. Conformed into the image of the Son. The power of beauty. Whoo! The power of beauty. See, this is the thing. You don't tell a person who's eating bad to stop eating. See, this is why there's so much sin going on in the church is because we're bored and we've bought into a lie that all pleasure, all beauty, and all fascination has to happen outside of God. That's the great lie of the devil is the real pleasures outside. It's the greatest lie. The true pleasure and the true beauty is inside and it's inside the sun. I'm here to tell you that he's releasing a new word called happy holiness. Not gritting your teeth saying no to the stuff you really want to do. But because you're so lost in the beauty of him, you say, why would I waste and sell my birthright on a bowl of soup when I am made to feed? When I am made to feast? C.S. Lewis said we're all half-hearted creatures fooling about with sex and alcohol and this and that and ambition. He goes, we're like a bunch of kids playing in the mud pies, not knowing that we have a full-on holiday waiting for us at the beach. We're just living in the slums, holding on to our little vices, holding on to our little places of fake beauty and false and temporary. Friends, you were made for the ocean of the beauty of God. He's going to deliver our bored, our dull, are in different hearts and rewire you from within by touching him. Christianity isn't trying harder, it's looking at him more. The power of beauty. And David said, one thing I want from God, I want to be close to him and I want to look at him. I want to look at him. <laughs> you know, David was touching something that was older than David. Can you put John 17, 24 up here? You know, Jesus is one thing desire. No, Corey, what is it? <laughs> Father, I desire, there's that word again, that they may, whom you gave me, would be with me where I am. Look at this. And that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. That's Jesus' one thing desire. 
Psalm 27.4 is man's response to John 17.24. Now this, do you know in two verses later, Judas is going to come in and kiss Jesus and that night's going to begin? And what's Jesus praying for? You to be with him where he is and that he would be your number one source of entertainment. We can yell at everybody forever, quit watching Netflix. Quit watching those shows. Quit doing this. Quit talking about that. Quit wanting to do that. I'm here to say you don't do it by suppressing it and then hiding it. It's redirecting it and saying you were made for something so much greater and higher than you could ever imagine. Why would you sell your birthright on broken cisterns? That's what Jeremiah 2, he says, you've forsaken the fountain it's one thing to forsake the fountain. It's another thing to go make broken cisterns that have the appearance of filling it, but it never fills it because it always, John 4, keeps you coming back to the well. Yeah. Our hearts are incarnate thirst. Never have enough. Never have enough. We were made for beauty. Jesus. Everybody say, behold. Behold. Behold, so beauty and behold. Beauty and behold. Can you put 2 Corinthians 3.18 up here? I'm going to give you, in my opinion, and I, and I don't say this lightly, I think this may be, I know, it, you know, who, who knows? I, I, think it, I think it's one of the, the greatest verses in the whole Bible. I think this is the number one uh, uh, verse on discipleship. You want to disciple others? Don't just train them into nice behaviors. Don't just teach them behaviors. Don't just teach them habits and new rules and new ways to do life. You give them this. You put people before him. Discipleship is not about becoming better people. It's about being conformed into the image. And you get conformed as you're transformed and you transform through beholding. We all with unveiled face. Everybody say we. we. See, that's why I'm talking corporately because I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about we. I'm talking about a corporate reality to where there's singers and musicians on a stage, prayer leaders over here, and a room that is corporately doing something together. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being, I love the word being, transformed into, I can't even believe I'm about to say this, the same image. Not another image, not a little Jesus. I am being transformed into the very person I'm looking at. From glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a principle in Scripture called beholding becoming. Whatever you look at is what you become. Whatever you spend the most time feeding your eyes, your ears, and your senses is what you will become. It will fill your thought life. It will fill your emotions. It will fill your desires. 
Most of us got gripped with fear because we lived on political shows. Or we live on stock market shows. We live on this show. We live on these radio, these podcasts. We live on it. We're feeding on it. It's coming through our senses. Eyes and ears. Eyes and ears is what Christianity comes down to. Eyes and ears. And, and Paul is going to contrast Moses coming down the mountain with his face shining, having to put a veil over his face. And saying they couldn't do it. He goes, the veil has been taken away in Jesus. And he goes, here's the amazing promise that we with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror. Now, mirrors in the ancient world were not like our mirrors today where you get exact reflections. They were very dim. They were limited. The point that he's saying is, though it's dim and it's not that awesome in the moment, every day you show up and open up your Bible, commune with the Holy Spirit, and say things to Jesus about Jesus with other people, every day you are transformed just a little bit more. Lines of code, computer code, are being driven into your thought life, into your emotional chemistry, into your desires. You are getting transformed and metamorphosized, and you don't even know it. But it's bit, it's bit. It's bit, but we live in a convenient generation that wants the fire tunnel, the anointing, and walk out with new people. And I want to shoot that charismatic lie in the head. I want to shoot that in the head, and I want to call you into discipleship. I want to call you into discipleship, which is the slow, subtle, mundane, mostly boring, not sexy journey of being conformed into the image of Jesus. And then you wake up a year later and where when you would enter into a sin cycle, you would run from God. Now you're like, no, I'm standing right here and I'm gonna let you enjoy me. I repent and I'm running to you in my sin instead of from you in my sin. How did that happen? You're getting transformed. You're getting changed. See, we've turned Christianity to outside. Do all the outside. Christianity is an explosion from within. It's, it's, out, it's inside out. It's not outside in. Beholding as in a mirror the glory. Transform, same image. I want to give Upper Room Frisco a call into beholding the beauty and the glory of God. Jesus is the multifaceted diamond of the Father. And I want to call every one of us to get into a room and walk a lot of boring hours with Bibles open, hands on our belly, talking to the Holy Spirit and saying, Jesus, reading verses about who he is and what he does in the Gospels, what he does with David, what he did with Moses, what he did with Elijah, what he did in the epistles and in Revelation, and just whisper Bible verses back to Jesus about Jesus. Sometimes it'll be explosions. 80, 90% of the time, you won't feel a lot. But the pay is the same.
We are releasing a discipleship movement and it's calling morning, noon, and night. Beholding the beauty of Jesus in this room. Singing to Jesus. Playing before Jesus. And not only that, we're going to talk next week about agreeing with Jesus, the intercessor. Agreeing with Jesus, the intercessor. Because as you get lost in his beauty, conformed in, he's not into you just going, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. No, it's about us entering into our glory in him. I love worshiping and, and singing to him, but there's something more. And it's about releasing his will through intercession. Singing over Frisco. Singing over the church. Praying over the church. Becoming a governmental center in Upper Dallas, North Dallas, that we begin to legislate for the shifting and that a generation would get delivered from the God of mammon and the God of pleasure and the God of false beauties and the God of fake beauties and that all the broken cisterns that we run to and that we would begin to pray over the church, that we would see a deliverance from consumerism that we would see a deliverance from just the God of mammon and that we would exalt Jesus and a generation would fall in love with him and that we would see rooms shift. I don't care how it comes and what it looks like, but Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches and assemblies and non-denominational and Catholics and that it would begin to fill rooms all over this place. <laughs> These are Protestant monasteries. I'm serious. Rooms set apart for God. Priests, businessmen that come on their lunch hour. Moms that come early in the morning with their homeschool kids. This is what we're driving a stake in the ground as we find the rising tide. And I want to say it to you, and just to go back to Israel's dream. I'm... We're right now in the, we're, we're in the wedding, come to the wedding season, okay? We're inviting people. It's nice, and it's if I get around to it. I'll, I'll make a little spot in my schedule. It's increasing. The pressure's increasing. The seduction is increasing. Any through digital imaging and through the internet and everything else, every imagination can be fulfilled. We are in a fight for beauty in this hour. And the end of the age is the beauty contest. The seduction of the Babbit, Babylon, the harlot Babylon religion, harlot Babylon culture, or the beauty of Jesus that will steal the human heart. It's the fight for the human heart over what will capture your gaze. What will, what will break the power of seduction off of you? I'm finding it in our own lives. The wars, we do it, we lose it, we lose it, and we're in a battle over will we keep our hearts fascinated? Will we stay in the fascination? We're in the wedding, come to the wedding season, but I, I, I believe there's coming another invitation that's going to be a little bit more intense. It's going to be a little bit more mandatory. And I'm into getting in now so I can rest in the coming days and actually be a voice to people whose lives are getting shaken to the core. And we can call a generation to beauty. That's, that's the desire. And so we're raising this flag next Monday. 
It will be weak. It won't be awesome. There'll be a couple of really awesome sets intermingled with a bunch of boring ones, and I'm going to smile every day. Saying, I'm just glad to be here. Because you never know when you get changed or how you get changed. You just wake up, start feeling different. Start thinking different about your life. The spirit of wisdom gets on you and you start perceiving reality differently. And it's not about gritting your teeth saying no to bad stuff. It's about why would I sell anything out for the beauty of this man? Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Come on, somebody. We all, we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror glory. I want to find the beauty of God in every season. I want to find the beauty of God. That's what I love about David. He's one of the most jacked up men you'll ever meet in your whole life. And we got his whole story laid out in 1st and 2nd Samuel. Because of his failures, hundreds of thousands of people died. Great pain came through his life. But you know what God said about him in Acts 13? He fulfilled all the will of God in his generation. And you know why? Because God has a vulnerable spot for people who are captured more in his beauty, who are lost in the discovery of him than they are than just about what Jesus is going to do for them. Let's get out of this me-centered religion. Let's get out of this narcissistic, it's about me and how I'm feeling. And let's get lost in him as you discover your story in him.